All right, if you'll take your Bibles and join me over there in Leviticus chapter 23. Ooh, Leviticus, wow. We're also going to be in Zephaniah today, so if you want to start praying that you find that, now's a good time. (laughs) Boy, it's very exciting times. Rosh Hashanah started on Friday, and it's going to come to a close today. And, you know, there's a lot to be made about this feast that happens in Israel. Blake uh, Formanic, one of the students in the college, did an excellent job in a two-part Wednesday night study where he went through and talked about how Christ has fulfilled all of those feasts. And what we're looking at today really is some things in the Old Testament, some proofs and assurances in the New Testament. And then tonight, I'm going to be getting into some more specific news and headlines. We're going to cover a major one today because there's just so much language, language in this one piece that matches up with what the Bible says that I just I want to show you. You know, one of the greatest things we have as believers is the Word of God. And I, I have talked to several people over the past 10 years that I've been studying the Bible seriously. And what I find is said the most about ministries like this is that there's so much Bible. There's so much Bible. You know, there's a reason to that, uh, because this is the Word of God. This is how we understand the world as we see it today. This is what builds our worldview. This is how we can know about the promises of things that we don't see yet, but we know they're going to happen. As a matter of fact, uh, it's always the word that is attacked. I think it's interesting that there are so many different Bible versions that are out there for you to buy. You know, one of the most interesting things about those Bible versions, I want you to take a look at this the next time you have an opportunity, is that the copyright is always renewed in the date that they publish. And that's because there's something that has to change. Uh, My understanding is, I think, 10% has to be interpreted differently so that they can put their stamp on it and be able to say, this isn't exactly like the one that came before it. That should be like a, woo, you know, like just, what changed? I'm curious, you know. But people don't uh, have that kind of discernment. Church nowadays has become something where I think a lot of pastors, sadly, are just They're just motivational speakers. You know, they say things that we already know and understand, but there's not a lot of Bible. And when people start coming here or to to other Bible-based churches, that's one of the first things they say is, wow, man, the Bible is so, it's, it's so heavily taught. You guys are in it so much, and there is a reason to that. This is how we understand our world around us. And one of the most important things that's next on the calendar is the rapture, and I'm sure you've heard about it. How many have had uh, increased information on the rapture this week? Okay, most of us in here, right? Dr. Lindstrom, the founding pastor of this church, would say, you know, this is the week we start practicing, you know, rapture exercises and stuff. Uh, I don't think we're going to be doing any of this. I think it's going to be more like, you know, and we'll be gone. We'll be transformed. There's a lot of debate on when the rapture is going to happen. Is it going to happen before the seven-year tribulation period where God finishes um, what he needs to finish with Israel? Is it going to happen in the middle at the three-and-a-half-year mark when the great tribulation begins, or is it going to happen right before the Lord comes back at the second coming? And so there's a lot of discussion about it, but most people would agree, whether you're pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation, they all agree that the Lord is coming back for his people. This is a very exciting thing. This is something that we hold on to because we're not looking for God to establish the kingdom. That's not what our timeline is right now. We're not really kingdom building either. What we are building is we are building his church. When people get saved today, they're, whether they're Jew or Gentile, bond or free, man or woman, whatever it is, they're all brought into one body, and that's the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a separate thing from the church, and this is something that you learn when you begin to study your Bible. You don't marry the promises to the church and the promises to Israel together. This is how you get into replacement theology. There are people who teach out there, and they mean well, but they teach that the true church is now you and me, okay? So the, the physical and the, the people of Israel and the nation of Israel there, God's not dealing with them anymore. Just take a look at the headlines and you know that's not true. Just, and we'll look at a major one in a, in a little bit here. But we can see that this event that's going to come up, it's, it's not specifically for Israel. And when a Jewish person get, gets saved, they're now a part of the body of Christ. And this is a great truth for them. But when the rapture happens, all of those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ and are still alive will disappear from this earth. 
Now people start to lean back and they go, Pastor, come on. Next thing you're going to tell me is that there's aliens out there. I don't have to tell you that. The U.S. government's already beat me to it. You know, I think it's so interesting, and I'm not going to put my tinfoil hat on here. I'm just, we're just taking a look, okay? Let's take a look at the state of the country right now. We have a very difficult presidency going on. We have inflation. We have riots. We have uh, uh, race divisions, class wars, all this stuff, violence and all this. Things are not getting better. The promise was it's going to build back better. None, none of that has happened. I, I, they, build back better, the only thing that's happened is back. We're going backwards. And all of a sudden now, the U.S. government, who we're told when they say trust us, you do not trust them, they are now telling us aliens, real thing. And poor Mexico, they got the shortest stick, you know? They had to be the ones to reveal this alien image to everybody. And everybody's going, I knew it, we believed it, and all that. And I'm sorry, I'm not a graphics designer. I know what poor graphic design looks like. I looked at that thing and I went, no. <laughs> Just no. <laughs> no. Now, I know that that's, that's not the point of what we're discussing here today. The point is, there's a lot of lines being put out into the water, and they're expecting us to bite it. If we believe what the Bible says is true, then when the rapture happens and people disappear, doesn't it make sense that the current world government and everybody wants to get united on these things, that these unknown beings, and the only thing we have is some fossilized thing to show that they're real, that's the reason why people disappeared? It could make sense. I'm not saying that's how it's going to happen, but man, it sure does seem to be playing out that way. The world's MO is to take any kind of belief from God away. And there's, we know there's going to be a lot of people in the 144,000 that when the rapture happens, these people will come to faith in Christ and will be vocal about Jesus Christ and about his soon return. This is when I believe the Lord's Prayer kicks in and people are going to be praying for food. They're going to be praying for forgiveness because the world system is going to be coming against them. And you're going to see from some of the stuff that we look at in a little bit how horrible it will be. We did a whole series this summer on the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of revelation. Uh, you know, This is a serious thing that's going to be happening to the world and no one is going to escape it. That is why I'm of the position that the church is raptured out of here before that happens because what's going to happen in the seven-year tribulation period is not for the church. It's not for the church. I believe during that timeline, we will be absent from the body, present with the Lord. We'll be at the judgment seat of Christ where we will receive rewards for the profitable things that we did and the unprofitable things. They'll both be tested by fire. Whatever remains will be rewarded. We'll go into the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then we'll get ready, folks. We'll have that white robe, and no one will have any more fear of horses. And we're going to come down with the Lord at the second coming. And then we enter into the millennium, and I believe, based on how you lived your Christian life here, and the uh, sacrifices that you made will determine how you rule and reign with the Lord. And then after that thousand years is, is over, the devil will be loose for a season, and remarkably, the sinfulness of man, he will deceive people, and there will be one small rebellion left, and then he'll put all that to squash, and God will have the great white throne judgment. And hell will be opened, and people will be tossed in, and they will be forgotten by you and me. Uh, but they will be there in conscious torment for all of eternity. This is where stuff gets real. This is where you begin to look at, like we're going to cover tonight in these strong delusions. You look at these headlines out there, and it just everything wants to make it seem like it's for you. This is for the betterment of your life. Uh, Apple released a, a version of the um, Apple Watch this week where you can now do something like this, right? You see what I'm doing? No technology involved here except for the creation of God and how he designed it. But now these watches are going to be so data sensitive that they're not going to be able to see the movement of your fingers because that's what I thought, like you could answer a call like this. I thought, oh, that, how do they do that? That light that's shining on your wrists all the time, they're measuring the movement of the tendons there. <laughs> Can you say invasive? That's like, what? <laughs> and I, I just, I, I think it's crazy that the way that's being sold is, oh man, this is the true hands-free. It's going to be so much easier now when you get a call just to go, I don't have time for this. I just, no. No. I don't know why it's this. To end a call, it should just be like, you know, <laughs> see ya. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be cooler. 
But, you know, when does it get to a point now when they can moderate? Oh, are you you getting angry? You know, we don't want you to get angry. Oh, hey, we notice you're you're, you're kind of upset right now. What's going on? Uh, Microsoft has released a social credit score for their game console users where they can monitor your conversations while you're gaming and give you a social credit score. And if you don't have a high enough score, well, you're blocked from using those services. You can't say anything because the only thing you own is the actual game console. You don't own the streaming service. That's a subscription model. Can you imagine somebody was saying, uh, if, if this came out to the full degree, now here I am, your pastor on Microsoft Word, typing out a Bible-based message, and all of a sudden, Bill Gates is like, hey, that's against our terms and condition. We're monitoring what you're writing for spell checking, of course, but this is really hateful and inflammatory, so they closed the program out. That stuff could happen. If it's happening on things like game consoles, then it could get to that point too, because you know what? Sadly, I am on a subscription base for Microsoft. I can buy it, but the next product is going to be so much better that this one just goes defunct at that point. So you can see how these things begin to happen, and we've got these, this rolling out. So we as believers, we have something to look forward to. We don't know how bad it's going to get here, but we know one of two things is true. We're either going to die and we'll be with the Lord, or he's going to come back and get us before that seven-year tribulation. Some people don't like this. They say, well, you're trying to make it too easy for the Christian. Don't you know we're supposed to suffer? Don't you know we're supposed to go through very difficult times? I think we're all suffering and going through difficult times. You choose to live your life the godly way, you're going to come under persecution. Don't worry about finding it. It will find you. So I don't think we should be looking at the level of persecution as a qualifier to see, well, are you really suffering for the Lord? Folks, we're here in America very sheltered from the blood that is being shed uh, by our fellow brothers and sisters and, uh, in Christ abroad. We're kind of uh, sheltered from that because it's not something fun to report, but people are dying. You go talk to uh, one of our missionaries, Dr. Charlie Bing, and he'll tell you in Miramar some of the, the people that are dying. At the hand of, of, of Buddhist monks, uh, people are dying because they identify with Jesus Christ. That doesn't, that's not a headline tonight. The headline tonight is that you can do this with your watch now. <laughs> more convenience and all that kind of stuff. But when we're here and we're gathering here together and, and we're going to study God's word, we should be able to see we're looking forward to these things happening. And is there anything showing us that we're closer than we were before? Yes, there is. And that's where I want to kind of go into today. So in your Bibles here, Leviticus chapter 23, beginning in verse 23, these are prophetic of the future, the regathering of Israel. And of course, we have this trumpet here, which is significant. There's a lot of language with the rapture about trumpets because trumpets signal the changing of something, the heralding of something new, the end of something. The, uh, when you heard a trumpet back in those times, is is not like a mealtime call. It was either a Sabbath day or a high holy day was starting or you are under attack. I wish that I had uh, a big shofar like Dr. Lindstrom did because I'd, I'd like to try and play it for you, but the one that I have is you know, the kind that fits in a suitcase. You understand what I'm saying? It's like, and I thought, even if I could play this, this would sound pathetic. So we're just not going to do that. But you go look it up on YouTube and listen to a shofar. It's a very startling noise, okay? It's not like, oh, that sounds nice. I'm going to work out to that. No, this is like uh, kind of like the emergency alert system that we hear today. It's designed to be jarring, to get your attention, that you need to, you need to stop what you're doing and focus on something else. So look here in verse 23, Leviticus chapter 23. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month of the first day of the month shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So now I want you to take your Bibles and go over there to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Rosh Hashanah, this is what we are in right now. Currently in Israel's calendar, they started uh, Rosh Hashanah, that Feast of Trumpets, on uh, sundown Friday, and it will be over sundown today. It's very interesting to see as we continue to get closer that even after all this time has gone by and the Jewish people have been scattered and now they're back in Israel, they still keep these feasts. They're still looking for their Messiah. Uh, they do not realize that it is Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, that's a very offensive thing to many practicing Jews. I've been to Israel twice, and you have to learn 
especially with who you talk to, you have to learn how to share the gospel with them because there's an immediate offense that is taken when you mention Jesus Christ's name. They, they, they do not line up with that. But it's interesting to see, here we are in 2023, these feasts are still being kept. This is going on right now in Israel. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul gives us one of two rapture passages where it's revealed as to what's coming up next. He says in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So it's evident here by Paul's statement that the believers in Thessalonica had lost loved ones. And there was some type of knowledge that they lacked because they're called ignorant. He did Paul out of his love and concern for them and through the direction of the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to them some comforting truths. Let me say this very definitively. The rapture is a doctrine of comfort. It is something that we are supposed to look forward to as relief, as deliverance. We all have loved ones that have passed away in Jesus Christ. What I mean by that is they put their trust in Jesus Christ. We can have comfort and be able to avoid sorrowing like those who have no hope because we know from this doctrine we're going to see them again. They're not going to be in this you know, false state of soul sleep for eternity because they missed out on this coming of the Lord. We're going to be able to see them again. I've done many funerals now, and I've done, most of them are of believers. There was one that I did recently, um, our brother Ormel, that was just one of the most encouraging times to get together, and just, I knew that man was saved, and all of the people there uh, that were at that funeral, there was this sense of, it was a, a heavy happiness, it was a heavy joy. Yes, we grieve because we will not see him anymore, but Boy, we know when the Lord comes back, Hormel will be there too. And that's a great encouragement. We don't have to wonder, will I ever see our, our, our loved ones again? We know that they're coming back. And obviously it was such a serious thing in Thessalonica that Paul took time to write about it here. And I want you to notice here that he says at the end, even as others which have no hope, there's always, there's always another side to the coin, folks. For those of us who have hope and we have great knowledge and we have great assurance, there are those walking around today who have no hope. I talked about this, I think it was last week or the week before, about psychic mediums who are in high demand today because people want to talk to their loved ones. And they think they are talking to their loved ones. There was a medium who recently came to faith in Christ and she was on some conservative talk show and she said very definitively, no psychic medium talks to people from the dead. We talk to demons. That should wake you up. That should get you realizing what this really is. It's deception. We have a record of the one thing that a man who died and went into hell said, somebody go tell my family so they don't come here. That was it. After he asked for comfort, dropped just a drop of water on my tongue to, to ease me from this torment, that was the next thing that he asked. Somebody tell my family. We don't have to worry about where's our family. My mother passed away when I was eight years old, seven years old. I don't have to wonder where she is, folks. Matter of fact, I'd like to be there, amen? We'd like to be in that, in that state of conscious bliss with the Lord. But we don't have to worry and fret like many people do. I have done one funeral where I was not sure if the person had put their trust in Jesus Christ, and you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference. I don't think there's anything wrong with the grieving process. But there's something different. When you're talking to people after you've seen how they grieve, there's something different when you share with them the gospel. They're not even thinking about Jesus Christ. They're not even thinking about his death, burial, and resurrection because they think they have just lost someone for all of eternity. There's a difference. Yes, we sorrow when we lose fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but we do not have to sorrow as those who have lost unbelievers who are now spending an eternity separated from God. So he goes on into verse 14. And if you're paying attention here, we see a qualifier for this event of the rapture. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. A couple things to note here. The qualifier is belief. You believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was done for you, then you will see your loved ones again. 
Notice here, even so them also which sleep in Jesus. It's important to see what kind of death they have here. Yes, it's a physical death, but they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the great doctrines of salvation. Once you are saved, you are saved for eternity, folks. If he didn't save you to the uttermost, he did you no favors at all. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ is not an example for you and I to attain. There are many religions that look at Jesus and give him divinity. They give him credit. They give him honor and respect, but they do not say that he's the son of God. They do not say that he has any power over death. He sure does. And it's why you and I can hope. But there's a promise here. You believe even those which have already died before you, look at the last part of the verse here, will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. This is a very important statement. Most of the time, it's breezed over. Paul is telling you, this is not of me. There's an attack today still on the credibility of the Apostle Paul. There are those who will tell you that the only books of the Bible that are for you and me are a few in the New Testament. And all the writings of Paul, we have to get rid of them. Doesn't that sound like a satanic message? You know, Paul credits the time that he spent with Jesus. It's in Galatians chapter 1. He gives you a timeline from when he had the road to Damascus moment to when he met with Ananias, and then he went into the wilderness for three years in the desert of Arabia, and he met with Jesus. It was one of the most important things that Paul says. The things that I'm giving you, no man taught me. I'm not repeating it from another man. I heard it from Jesus himself. Don't you think the devil wants to attack that man? He wants to discredit that man? Because if you can take away his testimony, you can take away some of the greatest promises of the New Testament for the believer, including this one. But I like how Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he tells you, what I'm going to say unto you, this is by the word of the Lord. You want to put it on somebody? Put it on Jesus. Look what it says. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So we're not going to go before those who have already died in Christ. So I'll use myself as an example. I have many loved ones who are with the Lord now. When this rapture event happens, they will get their new body first. And there's been a lot of debate as to how will that happen. As a matter of fact, there's a whole doctrine against cremation because people think that it's too hard for God to literally make something out of dust. Mm, I, okay. Okay. I'll leave that there. That we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep. So those who have died, they're going to come first at this event called the rapture. Look in 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. You need to mark this here. There is no physical touching down on the earth. His first advent, he was here on the earth. He walked on the earth. The second advent or the second coming of the Lord, he's going to touch down and split the Mount of Olives. I get chills every time that we get to this spot in Israel on uh, the Mount of Olives and you're looking over to Jerusalem there. And this last time that we went, there was a singer that went with us and she, see, I don't know what she's saying because it was so emotional. This moment happened. She didn't get to go for several years because COVID kind of stole her voice. And now she's here, and, and she has full voice, and this was the biggest trip that they've had in a long time. And as she's singing about Jerusalem, accepting their Messiah, I kid you not, it was a cloudy day the entire day, and then right when she starts singing at the climax of the song, the sun just bursts through. And you just have these, these visions of like the Lord coming back and, and, and ruling and reigning and bringing things into right order, destroying the order of the Antichrist and the mark of the beast. And it's going to be a serious thing when he comes back and every eye will see him. But that is not what is said about this return here. This is for the VIP, okay? This is a specific group of people. He's going to descend, yes, onto the earth, but it will be with a shout. And this is why I read Leviticus 23, the blowing of the trumpets. It's why a lot of conservative interpreters, such as myself, think that this time of year, it could be it. Now look, I'm not going around, you know, printing shirts that's saying... You won't see me after the 17th, okay? I've seen those people. I know how that ends. I told you about on my honeymoon. We were on the cruise, and there were people that were, it was in May, I guess at that time. It wasn't the rapture. It was some guy who was just saying, May is it. And it said something like, after this date, you won't see me. Like, this is our last cruise. Well, 
They obviously didn't have enough laundry after the seven-day cruise because when they were walking off two days after they were supposed to be gone, guess what shirt they had on? Yeah. So I'm not up here setting dates because we don't know when it's going to happen, but when it does happen, it's going to happen very quickly. It's going to happen very quickly. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Note there, it is not a physical touching down. With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. What you see here, I want you to take note of this. Shout, voice, and trump. These are all things, I, I don't think it's going to be specifically, you know, like there's, you're going to be able to hear or see these things. This is the description of what will be said as a trumpet alerting the end of the church, the beginning of disaster, tribulation. And the church is called up out. And when this happens, the dead in Christ, look at the last part of that verse, shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. And this word here is where we get the word rapture. Because you're going to hear a lot of people, if you go home today and you start looking in your computer, and you start looking on, you know, Google and all this stuff, and you go, oh, there's no rapture in the Bible. The word's not even there. Yeah, I know. The Greek word is there. And that's exactly what this Greek word is here. And it means caught up together. Think about you go into a, a big warehouse with a low-hanging ceiling and there's a bunch of balloons and there's just all these strings and you're just, you just bring your hand through, you get all those strings, you're catching them all together into one unit. That's what's happening here. We are caught up together with them. Who is them? They've already been described as verse 13, those that are asleep. Verse 14, those which are asleep in Jesus. Verse 15, those that... Um, are asleep. And then we have here in 17, with them, they're going to be called up first. We get called up after. And it says, we will meet the Lord in the air. Okay, that doesn't mean we're going to be hanging out in the earth's atmosphere. This is something descriptive of we're being caught up away in the air. And I want you to note this last part here. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What does this mean? There is no event from the rapture to the new heaven and the new earth in which you will be separated from the Lord Jesus Christ. That is good. That's a good thing. There is no outer darkness for the Christian. There is shame. There is regret. There is guilt at the judgment seat of Christ. And it will not be from the Lord with a whip in His hand beating His children. We will have heaviness for what we could have done but we will not be separated from the Lord. Isn't that encouraging? This is a part of your salvation. This is inside the terms and conditions. I love it. This is a great assurance and confidence that regardless of what may happen to me or my family here, they're with the Lord as I will be forever. And then look at the last part of, verse, of this passage here in verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So no, we're not putting on tinfoil hats this morning. We're not into wishful thinking. We're reading the Bible as it is. And the Bible tells us we can comfort one another with this great doctrine of the rapture. Sadly, we know that there are people who will go before us, and we can think of many people who have lost their lives as believers for their faith. We can think of people who have, we've lost too early We've lost to illness. We've lost to tragedy. But we know where they are, and when the rapture happens, they're coming with the Lord. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50. This is the resurrection passage. Great passage, by the way. I wish we could spend all of our time here. But there's a lot of different examples that Paul gives through but there was this thing spreading around in the Corinthian church that Jesus didn't come back from the dead. It's debatable how this was coming up. It's my opinion that these Gnostic roots were starting to creep in everywhere because by the second century, a lot of Christian mysticism was fully formed. And if you have a chance when you're just you know sitting at home uh, this afternoon, go back and watch the message I did on Sunday night where we talked about Gnosticism it, it's straight from the garden, and I don't mean from what God did in the garden, but from what the devil did in the garden. He looked at Eve and he said, you can know. And that's what the word Gnostic comes from, gnosis, that, that word meaning to know. 
And there's always a temptation for man to know what he does not know. That's why I think people don't really worship God. Because God's very clearly revealed in the Bible. But people want to worship stars. They want to worship signs. They want to worship spiritual beings that are demonic. Because there's a mystery about them. They, they're almost like you know the Greek mythology of, of sirens that would whisk away these sailors with their music and then destroy them and drown them in the ocean. There's just this temptation to know what we don't know. Isn't it good to know something from God that we have that's like confidence? I'm not building my life upon something I have no proof in. But Paul goes through in, in 1 Corinthians 50, and he's telling them. As a matter of fact, look in verse 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 16. If the dead rise not, then, Christ is, uh, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith... Stop for a moment here. We, we know what that word means now. We did a study that I've gotten a lot of feedback that's been very helpful. But we know what that word means. It is uh, assurance or confidence in a stated or implied truth. And what Paul is saying here is that your faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if he did not rise from the dead, it is vain, ye are yet in your sins." Without the death, burial, and resurrection, you have no payment for your sin. That's a problem. It's a major problem. Now, evidently, these Corinthians believed it at one point, but they got swindled. They got hustled into a false doctrine. And he's arguing from the point of, this is not possible. You know what you believed. If, if this is what you believed, you have no deliverance. Verse 18, Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Well, that would contradict what he said in 1 Thessalonians 4. We don't have to sorrow as those who have no hope because the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees this rapture event. And so he says here, one of the most famous lines that comes out of the Bible that people misapply left and right, up and down. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men, what? Most miserable. Do you know what he means by that? We're no better than anybody else, and we're worse because we're believing a lie. We're not believing a lie. Jesus rose from the dead. And because of this, we have hope about this rapture event. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, now, whenever you see 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians chapter 5, where there's this long list of, don't you know, those who are liars and fornicators and adulterers, they're not going to enter into the kingdom of God. The reason why that is, is because, look up here for a moment, that is what is born of our flesh nature. I still have a sinful nature that can do nothing good in the eyes of God. It can do great good in the eyes of man, but I'm not judged by my fellow man. I'm judged by God. This flesh nature came into the world November 24th, 1990. Boom, there it is. Sinner Jesse was born. Cute and adorable, sinner. Okay? Didn't have to learn how to do things wrong. Came naturally. And then this over here, this nature is my new nature. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's led, guided, and directed by the Holy Spirit. This is my new nature, and this is born of God. And it cannot commit sin because God's seed remains in him. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9. And this nature God honors. I can do good things that please God in this nature. But nothing happened with this one. As a matter of fact, if anything did happen, a battle began. So now I have this desire within me. When, there, when, when the opportunity to do good is present, evil is there too. And these things fight with one another all the time. There's not any time where they say, all right, look, it's Saturday, let's take the day off. Hey, calm down, y'all, get back to your corners, look. No, no, these guys are going at it all the time. And this nature, born of God, I can do righteous things. When I die, which one will inherit the kingdom of God? My flesh and blood or my new nature? My new nature, this is not going to get in. How can you describe this new nature? Wicked, fallen, sinful, deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's this. When I die, this nature is not going to be like, hey, what's up? You remember me? Let's go in together. No, this is going to be gone. I'll have this that remains. And that's what he's saying here. Look, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, 
Neither doth corruption, that's this old sinful nature, inherit incorruption. So look, this isn't going to happen. They evolve into this brand new one nature. That's what the Calvinist teaches. That's why the Calvinist says you will persevere until the end. Because the Calvinist says when you got saved, these things came together and it's now one nature. So if you show this, that's all you have. But if you show this, then you're really saved. Where's the blood of Jesus in any of that? There's not anywhere. It's all performance-based. Sit back and relax. How can you relax? And enjoy the ride to see if you're really saved. No, I'm not going to get on that ride. That's not what the Bible teaches. This corruption will not inherit the incorruption. It's not going to be a swap. It's a brand new thing. So then he says here in verse 51, Behold, which means look, I show you a mystery. What is a mystery? It's a, it's a hidden truth that is now revealed. What's one of the greatest mysteries that we see in the Bible? The church. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul reveals that Jew and Gentile in one body, and this thing is called the church. Well, there's another mystery here. And this mystery that's being revealed is, we shall not all sleep. No, this is not talking about new parents. Okay? It's not talking about those who are saying, amen, I get that. What this word sleep means, it it is another word for death. So there's something being said here. Not every believer will experience death. May I find out how to be on that list? This is why people are excited about the rapture. If the Lord gives me a full life, I think I'll see the rapture. But I know that my friend, the Apostle Paul, he was looking for the rapture too. And we know Dr. Lindstrom was looking for the rapture. And we, we understand that. We know it's something that can happen at any time, but it's exciting. But we shall all be changed. Remember, look up here for a moment, changed. You've got these two natures in your body right now. Okay? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, uh, for the trumpet shall sound, and this is why people like to tie it to Rosh Hashanah, because this is the blowing of trumpets. Go Google what they did on on Friday nights. Well, it was Friday morning for us, but it'll give you chills. You're like, oh man, can you imagine? You're just watching that and all of a sudden... Jesus is right there. He's like, hey, how you doing? You're like, oh, wow, that was it. <laughs> but you see all these things happening. It's exciting. And the dead shall be raised. Look up here. The dead shall be raised incorruptible. When my mom gets her new body, it's all this nature. This is gone. She passed away on October 28th, 1998. That's gone. That body, gone. She's going to get a new one, not of corruption, incorruption. God's not going to take this one and make it into this thing. It's going to be a brand new thing. You're not excited. (laughs) Freddie Coyle, you know. (laughs) For this corruptible, look up here, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in what? Victory. Now as a University of Florida fan, we got one of those yesterday. That was great. Alabama barely got it. We know what victory feels like. Winning something, this is so much better. What is the ultimate defeat in this life it's death no man can outrun it you have a day but there are believers in a certain period of time who will have victory over death and we've got it now because even when we die the sting of death is gone i wonder if there's anywhere that says that look at 55 O death where is thy sting O grave where is thy victory the sting of death is sin that's what makes death potent You die as a sinner. Well, because of sin, death reigns. You die as a sinner. There's that that deathly sting. You're separated from God now. No payment applied for your sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to who, folks? God, which giveth us the what? Victory. Oh, there's that great hymn. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. That's all you're going to get because I don't remember the rest. But that's enough, right? 
Listen, where's our victory? It's because of God. He has, he has accepted the sacrifice of his son who died for us. We don't have to go around in this world as it gets worse and worse and act like we have no hope. Church services should be lively. We should be smiling. When we sing, no matter how well we sing, we should sing out with confidence. Because we've got something beyond this world. Oh, it's beautiful, but it ain't it. I don't want just what this world has to offer. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. Notice here, through our Lord Jesus. Therefore, my beloved brethren, mope, complain, fear, run and hide. No, 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 no. Be ye steadfast. Oh, I like that. Rooted. Unmovable. And not just staying there like a stoic man, right? Not doing anything. Abounding. Moving forward. That's a great leap. Abounding in the what? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The rest crowd is not happy here. Well, we don't have to work. Our reward is Jesus. We don't do anything in this life. I don't know. The Bible says that we should be abounding in the what? Work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know what event he's talking about there? Why our labor is not in vain? Because there will be a day where we, you, singular, stand before Jesus and he will reward you for what you have done. That's where we get that hymn. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. He's not going to go and say, well... You didn't clock in on that one Sunday morning, so i got to take it all away. Good job, though. Next! <laughs> That's not how all that works. He's going to give you exactly what you have earned. I used to be, when I was in high school, I used to be of the opinion that a rewards-motivated life was an improperly motivated life. I've completely changed my mind about that because of this verse right here. It's not a selfish thing to work for the Lord. He wants to reward you. You can do good works without this nagging at you, saying, oh, this is so wrong. Look how selfish you are. You're not doing it for you. You're doing it because God has asked you to do it. And what better thing can we give back to the one who gave us everything? I'm gladly willing to live my life as a disciple because I don't have a life without my Savior. And I don't know why people don't get that. No, wait, I do. Because here's the world, folks. Here's your sin nature that says, you're going to go to Bible college? What are you going to be? A Bible? What are you going to be? A pastor? That's how you're going to provide for your kids. How are you going to be an example? Oh, I'm going to leave all that to the Lord. If a sparrow can get fed, folks, you take care of me, amen? We got to trust that he can do what he said he's going to do. But you know what that requires? Trust. That requires faith. You've got to believe. That's why in James 1 it says, the man that comes to God with his faith wavering, let that man know he will receive nothing of the Lord. What's a wavering faith? It's the person that tells the truth with their, you know, fingers crossed back here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, God, I believe you, but I don't know. That's not faith. We have to trust that God will do these things for us. Then comes destruction. So the rapture is happening. We're in Rosh Hashanah right now. What about what happens after that? Because that's what the question is. Are we close? Well, are we? I'll talk more about that specifically tonight, but I want to look at one thing on purpose here. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Trent, could you do me a favor? I just realized I did not grab something off the printer. Could you grab it for me real quick? Thank you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 1. This happens right after chapter 4. And if you remember, the way that these things are, the way that they were received in Thessalonica, this is one big letter. Uh, the people who edited the King James and translated it, they put in the chapter and verse divisions. Thank you very much. They put in the chapter and verse divisions. But if you have a paragraph Bible, this flows really nicely. Because you can see right after he gives the hope of the rapture, he says there's going to be some specific things that happen before this tribulation period. Now, there's a lot of discussion, and I don't have a ton of time, so I want to go through this briefly. There's a lot of discussion on the day of the Lord. Okay, When is that? I believe through Scripture it's used broadly. 
There is a specific day of the Lord when he comes back, but also the entire tribulation period in Daniel is described as the day of the Lord. And you read the minor prophets like Zephaniah, which we will read in a moment here, and you can see that day of the Lord is a broad thing. I, my conclusion that I've come down on is the day of the Lord begins with the rapture and the tribulation starts right after. I don't think that there's a period of time. There are some people who do, but I think there will be, there will be treaties of peace in place executed at the rapture. Look what it says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, Jesus uses the same language. Jesus is not describing himself similar to a thief, but as a thief in the night is an illustration for suddenness. It's a surprise. You're not expecting it, okay? The rapture will be a surprise. The second coming, we are, you will have Bible verse lined up for what that event looks like. When everybody's getting together to make war against the Lord, you know he's coming. That's not a surprising thing. The rapture is something that is surprising. The beginning of the tribulation is something that is surprising. When you look at the first three seals that are broken in the tribulation period, billions of people are dead. That is something that happens quickly. Crop failure, people are starving, and we talked all about that earlier, but I want you to note this, this thing here in verse 3, and I smile because what I'm about to show you here, it's just like, wow. Take a look at this. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. What's the illustration here? We've seen as a thief in the night, we see as a woman who goes into labor. It's something that's sudden, Okay. But you have an idea of when that might happen because things start feeling different. But when it happens, it, it surprises you. Any moms out there want to testify to that? Dads too, you know. <laughs> Listen, look what it says. They shall not escape, but they give a promise. Hey, peace and safety. Take a look up on the screens here, okay? There was something that was done in 2020 called the Abraham Accords. I remember where I was when this was signed. I was in Walmart looking for a toothbrush. And my friend called me and said that this happened. And I, my stomach literally went to the floor. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Where nations are coming together, and the United States has honored this, and uh, President Trump was the one who initiated all of this, are recognizing Israel's sovereignty. It's a major step, especially for the Middle East. There's a giant war going on right now with the Temple Mount. Whose is it? The, uh, the, the Muslims have their third holiest site there. And the Jews have their holiest site there. They mourn today because that is not where they can build the temple right now. But there's things changing. Notice how I said in Islam it's the third holiest site. There are conversations happening, and there's a lot against it. But Saudi Arabia is coming in and, and, and starting to give some credibility to letting that site go because they have Mecca. Whew. That's exciting, folks, because that's where the temple is going to be, the third one. Anyway. All right, let's get back to the notes here. The Abraham Accords 2020. I'm going to uh, show you something here on the, on the, on the uh, screen. These are all the countries that are already, they recognize Israel's sovereignty. And this is at least two years after this Abraham Accord. And we're going to read that in a moment, the Accord. But you can see here, you've got Morocco in December. Egypt, there was already an agreement there. Jordan in 94. The United Arab Emirates there in, on September 15th in uh, 2020. Uh, Bahrain is involved as well. Sudan came later in October. But these are all the countries that currently are in some type of agreement with Israel for their sovereignty. And if you go to the United States website, just type in Abraham Accords um, Gov. You go there and you can download these declarations, the specific one. This is the Israeli-Moroccan. This is the uh, Israeli-Sudan one. And you can go through and see what kind of discussions they've had specifically about this is what we're going to honor. And the prime minister of Israel signed it, and the political leader of that country signed it. 
It's very interesting because now, the big news now today is recently Saudi Arabia, you see a little square there? See a little square in Saudi Arabia? Oh, you know what? Someone bought this for me, so I'm going to use it. Ready? Boom! Look at that. Oh, we're burning a hole. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Saudi Arabia right there, there's that little square. Uh, Informal cooperation links are happening. This chart was 2022, and now in 2023, very recently, as of last week, Saudi Arabia is very seriously considering signing their own accord for peace and safety. Listen, listen, I'm just a messenger. These, uh, Oman here, they had it, they had, they said we're going to wait after the 2020 election, and then they said we're just going to keep things the way that they are. But you've got major political movement here, kind of authored by the United States. Of course, Israel is in favor of it because it protects their right to exist as a country. But I'm going to read you now some things, all right? This is from the Abraham Accord, and I've I've marked one, two, three, four, five specific sections, and we'll look at them on the screen. But here's the declaration that was signed by Donald Trump and all of these other ones here uh, back in 2020. We, the undersigned, recognize the importance of maintaining and strengthening peace in the Middle East and around the world based on mutual understanding and coexistence, as well as respect for human dignity and freedom, including religious freedom. We encourage efforts to promote interfaith and intercultural dialogue to advance a culture of peace among the three Abrahamic regions and all humanity. We believe that the best way to address challenges is through cooperation and dialogue, and that developing friendly relations among states advances the interest of lasting peace in the Middle East and around the world. We seek tolerance and respect for every person in order to make this world a place where we can enjoy life oh, excuse me, enjoy a life of dignity and hope, no matter their race, faith, or ethnicity. We support science, art, medicine, and commerce to inspire humankind, maximize human potential, and bring nations closer together. We seek to end radicalization and conflict to provide all children a better future. We pursue a vision of peace, security, and prosperity in the Middle East and around the world. In this spirit, we warmly welcome and are encouraged by the progress already made in establishing diplomatic relations between Israel and its neighbors in the region under the principles of the Abraham Accords. We are encouraged by the ongoing efforts to uh, bring together and expand such friendly relations based on shared interest and a shared commitment to a better future. So this is what I want to point out to you here. There are specific phrases that are said there that match with what the Bible says we can listen for before this event. Maintaining and strengthening peace. Mutual understanding and coexistence. Advance a culture of peace. Advances the interests of lasting peace. And this is the big one. We pursue a vision of peace, security, and prosperity in the Middle East and around the world. I want you to focus on it's not just the Middle East, it's around the world. What's the goal of these accords. Obviously to bring peace between Israel and its neighbors, but to have something similar for the entire world. Now look in your Bibles. For when they shall say, verse 3, peace and safety. Look at the screen. Peace and security is just another word for safety. Folks, we're right here. We are knocking on the door. Our Lord is putting His shoes on. We're in the last few seconds of this time. Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Look in Zephaniah chapter 1. I'll give you the page number. I, I, I came prepared. I used my little Bible bookmark. I said, if I get anything ready for today, make sure you have Zephaniah marked. It's page 959 in a church Bible. Okay, that's in a church Bible. If you have a different one, it's not going to be the same. But it's right after Habakkuk. (laughs) Zephaniah chapter 1. Look at verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteth greatly. 
Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood shall be poured out as dust and their flesh as the dung. My goodness. You know what the world says right before this? Peace, safety, we've accomplished it. There's there's this great desire for a utopia where we as man can bring things, we're not going to say it, but we're trying to do it to the way it was in the garden. Without God, man can do this is what they say. But when the rapture happens, I believe these things are kicked in. Look at what it says. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. Boy, oh boy, if there's one thing young people right now are being told is get your money in crypto, get those quick gains, all that stuff, all that goes away. All that goes away. And we saw a little bit of that earlier this year with that bank collapse. I don't care how heavy your debit card is. If the machine doesn't work, you don't get no money, bro. Period. And even paper money has very little value. There was a big story of a minor league baseball game that told their patrons, we do not accept the U.S. dollar. You cannot use it here. And the dollar is, is, is not something that's upheld by the state. It's upheld, supposed to be, by the federal government. It is always to be accepted. They said it has no value or use here. Now you can see how serious a social credit score can be. If you're not performing well enough, well, you don't have any access to your little credits. You don't have any access to be able to, I don't know, buy and sell? Hmm. You can see how all this is coming into play. China has implemented many social structures where people fall below an accepted credit score for their social credit score, and the government is coming after you. You're put in a camp to be retrained. We know how that stuff goes. There are people who have testified in China as, after they have escaped. I have family members who went in and I never saw them again. The retraining is they, they kill you. Listen, folks, your money's not going to save you from that day. All the things that you have in stock are not going to save you from that day. The only thing that we as Christians can hold on to as the world is hur- it's just hurtling towards the end is we have victory through Jesus Christ. That's why we look forward to the rapture. Yes, I'm excited about it. Yes, I've been paying attention this week to every time it's 11 a.m. I'm just focusing on that. I'm looking for the Lord to come back, but I'll be honest with you, I'm looking every day. Every day. My wife has set that example beautifully, I tell you all the time. Looking forward to getting married, she's like, we're not going to make it, we'll be raptured. (laughs) Looking forward to buying a house, we're not going to make it, I don't have to worry about it, we're going to be raptured. Even while we were going through the adoption process, there was a very, it was, I think it was like around 2021 when we got all that stuff started. And we we're both like, I don't know, we might get raptured before we ever get a kid. <laughs> and here we are, you know. The idea is we don't live as if, you know, there's no tomorrow, but we're looking for the Lord. Look at the last part of 18. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. This is what's coming for those who have yet to put their faith in Jesus Christ. You can close your Bibles and look up here. So the the answer to the question, are we close? Yes, we've been close for a long time. The real question is, are we closer? Yes, absolutely. At the end of today and the beginning tomorrow, we're even closer. So what should we do? Well, there's a couple things that we should do. We should not sorrow as those who have no hope. Yes, I know it's getting bad, folks, but we are not supposed to be hanging our heads in defeat. We have victory. And number two, listen to me closely, we must share the gospel. We must share it. There's not a person on this earth that I despise enough to withhold the gospel from them. If I had an audience with the most vile man in the world, 
My message would be the, sh- the, 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 the absolute same to the person who's the best of us in humanity. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We need to be about that message. We need to live lives that show that it's serious to us, that this matters. We need to be ready to share the gospel because there will come a time where we will no longer be able to do it. You've got family that you may see this afternoon. We all have cell phones, email. Reach out to people. Don't blast them with all this prophecy that they don't understand. Ask them some simple questions. See where they are. How you doing? You concerned about anything? I guarantee you people are worried right now. People are worried right now. Offer them something greater than anything else this world could ever give. And if they reject you, that's fine. Don't quit. Think about how hard it was to reach you. Think about that. And the dedication of the Lord to use somebody to reach you. Aren't you glad for that? You have no idea who you can impact. But when we as Christians, when we shut down our mouths, when we don't share the gospel, we're working with the devil. Yeah, we're working with the devil when we do that. And if you're scared and nervous, I get that. Get tracks. Get tracks. Learn how to open a conversation with a tract. Hey, I got something here. This is the greatest news in all the world. Be funny with it. You look like a smart person. I don't think you're going to run into many people who disagree. <laughs> so there's a quiz in here. I want you to take it until you pass it. By the way, you know where you're going to go when you die? You've already piqued their interest. I've seen this work. I don't know. And they're opening the track. You get to share the gospel with them right there. This tells you Bible verses how you can know you're going to heaven. And a lot of these answers people think gets them to heaven, but the Bible says differently. You go through the gospel message with them. And even if you only have a chance to give them a track, the way that you do it is very important. Think about the gardener who has a seed but does a poor job. You can have a seed, you can have soil. If you just dink it on top of the soil, it's not going to grow. Dig the hole. Bury it correctly. Make sure that it's watered. These are all things that we can do with our Christian life. You're ready to share the gospel? Then go share it. Go get it to people. Because when this event happens, strong delusion, folks, and we'll go over that tonight, what those strong delusions are. I'm going to let this hand represent you and me. My wallet is going to represent sin, and I'm going to show an illustration of how you can have assurance that when you die, you're going to heaven. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible clearly says, and we all know, for all is sin and come short of the glory of God. We mess up every single day. And if it's not the sin of things we commit, it's the, it's the sin of things we omit that we should do and we, do, and we don't. God loves us, but this sin separates us from Him and somebody's got to pay for it. Wages of sin is eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. And what's amazing about it is that Jesus has died for all the sin of all the world, yet people still go to hell. The only thing that they have to understand is believe on Jesus. Isn't that something? How close people will miss it. Good works don't save you. Going to church, giving money, being a good person, turning from your sin, all that. Those things are great. They're good for your fellow man, but God can't honor them as a sin payment because somebody has to die to pay for this sin. It's not paid by good works or good intentions. And that's what Jesus did for us. This hand represents Jesus Christ for the sake of the illustration. He shed his blood to pay for our sin. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Should not perish does not mean you're guaranteed from physical death. We're all going to die if we don't get raptured. What this means is you will not experience that second death, which is the one after you die physically, you are spiritually separated from God forever. If you believe on His Son that what Jesus Christ did on the cross and His burial and resurrection was for the payment of your sin, God gives to you what we do not deserve, the righteousness of His Son. All of a sudden now, that flesh nature that ruled in your life and had all the control... Boom, there's a new nature there. This one's going to heaven. There's nothing that can change that. Well, how do I get this? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And folks, he saves us, as Hebrews says, to the uttermost. What does that mean? He took care of all of it. 
People like to say, you mean I can do X, Y, and Z and still go to heaven? Well, I have a question for you. Oh, I bet you do. I sure do. Are those things sin? Of course they are. How much sin did Jesus pay for on the cross? Well, he... Oh, and people get it. I like when people ask that question because you get to get them realizing he paid for all sin, all of it. He didn't pay for it up to when you believed and now you've got to keep putting him on the cross. That's what the Catholics teach. That's why the Eucharist is so important in Catholicism. No, he died once so that we could live forevermore. Amen? And to the ones who might be here in the audience today, and that makes sense to you, you can put your trust, your faith, in Jesus Christ. And you receive as a free gift everlasting life. And this is on the clock for you now. Welcome to the party! It's a great place to be. But for those who reject, that is on the clock for you, but it, it'll leave without you. And then swift and sudden destruction will descend upon this earth, such as the world has never seen. Believe today. Don't delay. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Nobody looking around. If you're here today and you've never come to an understanding that Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that paid for your sin. Maybe you walked in here and said, Pastor, I'm working. I'm doing my own thing. I'm being the best that I can be, and I know God will honor that. Well, folks, you know that's not true. God cannot give righteousness earned by man's works. That's why Jesus died. And if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I understand for the first time I'm going to heaven now. I've put my trust in Jesus Christ. Would you pray for me? I absolutely would. I'm going to ask if you would raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that you put your trust in Jesus today. You know you're going to heaven Anyone before we close? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. Folks, I don't have to tell you if we're close or not. You know that we are. You see the language of these accords and these peace treaties and things are moving so quickly to a one world government, it's nauseating. But you don't have to be riddled with fear. That's a choice that we make and we make it incorrectly because we are looking for the Savior. There's a guarantee that He's coming back. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you've got fear, if you've got doubt, if you have insecurity, be refreshed and encouraged by the rapture, which is, it's coming. And know that God loves you, accepts you because of His Son, and there's coming a day when you'll be with Him and He'll never leave you. Father, thank you for your word. Bless the Awana program tonight, the message tonight as well. Lord, we pray that you come soon. But if not, give us the strength we need to finish well. Thank you for these promises. We are looking up at the clouds today and every day. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen.